Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Would you thank the Lord? Just give him a big clap offering, worship him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Isn't God good? Give me just a moment to get my tech up. Uh, this, oh, yes, this morning we would like to uh, recognize all of the vet. We have Veterans Day on Thursday, and uh, today, this morning, we want to just recognize all of you who are veterans. You're uh, in any area of our armed forces, and we would just like to call attention to you. If you wouldn't mind standing where you are so we could give you a big hand. We thank you for your service. God bless you guys. And, you know, uh, thank you really doesn't seem uh, enough, and so we would like after the second service to feed you. Uh, we, I think they've already made the announcement about the luncheon for the veterans and appreciation of you. And so if you'd like to follow the second service, it would be around 12 o'clock, and that would be a real blessing. We'd like to bless you uh, and your girth. Amen. <laughs> so this morning we are uh, uh, going to be focusing on missions, <coughs> Pastor Poole asked me to share uh, and just kind of give an expose about all that we are doing in missions, and it's something that is really uh, near and dear to my heart uh, because I've had the privilege of seeing God move in other nations in the world. Uh, many of you know that I was a missionary for several years in Africa, first in uh, Kenya and then later in Malawi. And I have such vivid memories. I, they are uh, they're more than just remembrances. There's, you can, it, it's a very uh, sensory type uh, thing with these memories. They provoke a lot of emotion. Uh, they uh, provoke uh, a lot of excitement, really, too, of, of what God did and just appreciation for the people of the world. And I I was running over in my mind some of the experiences I had over the years, and, and one just really stood out uh, the, of something that happened <clears throat> on a Sunday morning, and this was years ago in Blantyre, Malawi. I'd gone to Pastor Charles Antunia's church. He was pioneering a small work just outside of uh, the, the largest city in Malawi, Blantyre. It's not the capital. The capital's Lilongwe, and I'll be sharing about Lilongwe later. But uh, Charles was pioneering in, in an area called Nkolakoti, just outside of, of Blantyre. And it was a, a, a pioneer work. About uh, 50 to 75 people were in attendance that morning. And uh, Charles was one of the two men that I work closely with in Malawi. And so this morning we're in a worship service and it was a small uh, kind of village church. And, and so we're on a platform that really was uh, very small. It, it stood maybe a foot off the main floor. 
and it was a very narrow platform. And so Charles and I are up singing, and the, the church is worshiping. They're singing, and, and everyone is uh, engaged and dancing and moving around and clapping. And then just right in the middle of this worship, half the, the church over on the right-hand side keep singing, and they're moving and dancing, and they just kind of shift over to uh, the join the folks on the left-hand side. And I'm, you know, I had been in Africa and been involved with it uh, long enough to know that they just do different things at different times in services. Uh, uh, Alex Jambaro uh, used to do, they would sit down you know, on the floor in their church in Lilongwe, outside of Lilongwe, and they would do what he called hands dancing. And, they, and, and it's what you would think. And they would be sitting and doing, and I thought, well, I mean, how creative is that? It was really cool, except it was very dusty. And every time they did the hands dancing, I'm, I'm choking and gagging. <laughs> but it was fun. So anyway, they just do different things. So I thought, well, this is, <clears throat> I'd never seen them move to the other side of the church before, but I'm, everybody's still singing, we're we're engaged in worship, you know, and then, then I look over and I see a guy. Now, this church, the, the walls of the church were probably only a good six feet high, and then there was an open space of about six inches to where the uh, uh, tin roof came down, so it was all open up there, and I notice a guy with a stick up there on the wall, and he's poking at something. And so I'm, I'm looking, and then I look and I focus in on what he's poking at, and it was a green mamba, a very poisonous snake <clears throat> crawling along the top of the ridge of the wall. And so uh, now I am focused. The rest of the church, I mean, they're, they're singing, they're dancing, you know, and going along. And, I, and so then there's, I see a, there's a couple of men outside they're dealing with, and so you know, I look back, and then finally everything's gone, and then, you know, or, yeah, I guess, and so the other, the rest of the church moved back over, and they haven't missed a beat. <laughs> now, you know what would happen if a, if a rattlesnake uh, uh, just kind of crawled through. I tell you, we would clear the house, <clears throat> It'd be, and I'd be the first one out the door, and so I'm, you know, so we kept, and I, I'm really just struck with how uh, mundane this thing happened. It was mundane to everyone else. To me, it was fairly significant <laughs> and life-threatening. <clears throat> and so I never did hear if they killed the snake or not. And so that morning while I'm preaching, I'm pretty distracted because it's a real narrow platform, and the back wall of that church is only maybe a foot to two feet from the back of my head. And so, as I'm preaching that morning, every couple of minutes, I'm kind of looking around and checking out the wall behind me, you know, just to make sure that mamba wasn't there. And so, uh, but experiences like that are why I love Africa and the people. And our church has always been a missions church. We have invested heavily in the nations over the years. And I'm going to focus primarily on world missions today, but I did want to point out something first. We also, uh, and most, a lot of you know, we invest 
heavily in our own uh, community, and we help monthly with uh, Cornerstone Mission. We provide food boxes uh, uh, for those uh, who are in need of food. Uh, we help uh, some seniors with medications that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise, and and another a number of other areas that we are involved in through our community assistance center uh, uh, and and bless our community. I think it's important for you to know that before we shift into world missions. Uh, several years ago, I was I was making a transfer to Africa to send money for support to Africa. And the woman that was helping me with this transfer looked at me and she says, you know, I, I just don't understand giving to them when we have such need here. And, you know, those kind of statements always kind of just set wrong with, but I didn't shame her. I understood that she really didn't understand. And so I didn't shame her for her statement. There's a lot of people who make the same kind of statements. And, and some of you at one time or another may have said something like that. And so there's no shame uh, in saying it uh, because I think that when, when those kind of statements are made, it's because of just a lack of understanding. And I explained to her what we did in our local community. I just shared a little bit that we are heavily involved in our community and investing in our local community. But the need there, our poverty here and their poverty there are, are worlds apart. I mean, they're like earth and moon apart as far as what we call poverty in the United States. It just is. And so... Uh, I, I think it's important for us to know that. And so uh, just recently, our community assistance uh, uh, center was asked, was contacted, I believe Valerie was contacted, uh, by the schools in Golden Valley to help with uh, uh, shoes and, and school supplies and even with underwear. And so we, uh, uh, it just blessed me. Uh, Valerie went shopping and got a whole bunch of water bottles and shoes and school supplies. And, you know, I tell you, uh, when I, I saw that, you know, it's, I understand that there's need here, but when you see it like that, uh, it, it really does move you, doesn't it? And thank God uh, for Valerie putting the effort in and you as a church investing in our local community. So having said that about our, our area, I do want to kind of go into world missions and what we're involved in in the world, but uh, I'm, uh, I want to, if, if you're a little nervy about a, an, an offering this morning, I'm not going to be taking a special offering for missions today. We do have the offering box in the back, and my point in this is, is as I said, an expose of what we as a church are doing in the world, and it really is, you'll see, significant. And also to encourage us uh, as individuals to be involved in regular mission giving. Cindy and I have done this for uh, uh, really uh, just almost all of our Christian uh, life, and we encourage you to join us in there. There's such a blessing 
in giving. And when I talk about giving to missions, it's it really uh, something that we do uh, above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. Uh, if we give uh, our tithe and designate it toward missions, that's great for missions, but we as a church are just not able to do what we would do here in the church and through our community unless we give above and beyond toward world missions. So I think we get that, don't we? Everybody said, I get that. Thank you. And so we're going to talk about world missions in, in several areas. One, the first thing that I want to point out is something that we're involved in right now, and probably everyone has, has seen uh, the videos about and that is Operation Christmas Child through Samaritan Purse. Uh, this is such a powerful outreach. Uh, every uh, year, uh, just around October, early October, we began to put out the need for uh, boxes for children in uh, needy areas of the world. And it's so powerful. You know, every time... Uh, I'm showing, or we're shown the, the video clips of these kids getting these boxes and the joy. I mean, I, I can't help but cry because I know uh, the impact that it makes on these kids. A lot of them would never have gotten anything for Christmas, let alone this treasure trove in this box of, of uh, toys and uh, school supplies and various things that we put in those boxes. And so it's just uh, a huge blessing. Uh, this year, uh, we've got a slide of just one table of the boxes that has been prepared. And uh, what's incredible is that we have, as of, uh, well, by the end of this week, we will have with you and us prepared over 400 boxes to send into the nations. <laughs> I got this from Samaritan uh, um, Purse, and they, yeah, that's later, aviation. Uh, since 2009, listen to this, 26.5 million children who have received a shoebox gift have participated in The Greatest Journey. This is a 12-lesson discipleship program, and the children learn from trained local volunteers what it means to follow Jesus and to share their faith with family and friends. Isn't that powerful? I mean, in, in the last 12 years, 26 and a half million children have been impacted with the gospel of Jesus, and then no telling how many family members and others who have been impacted from their testimonies. And so, again, thank you for your investment in uh, these boxes. Uh, there's another week that we have before they have to be turned in, and so we've got some empty boxes out in the foyer area if you'd like to take one or more with you and fill those up. There's instructions in the box about what to bring and what to do with that, and it'd be a real blessing. You could bring them in before next Sunday. During the week would be great during our office hours in the mornings, Monday through Thursday, and we'll bless the children of the world. Can everybody say, we'll do that? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, 
I want to look now at some of the distinct areas uh, that we are involved in. And the first of these I want to talk about is Asia and specifically Hong Kong. Uh, over, for over 30 years, we have, as a church have been giving to the work in Asia. And again, this is primarily uh, uh, through the Hong Kong church that it was pioneered and pastored in the early years by John McGovern. Pastor Howard, uh, before he passed uh, and went on to be with the Lord, traveled numerous times into Hong Kong doing conferences and in special ministry there. Pastor John uh, uh, traveled there and preached in their conferences as well. And the Hong Kong church in, in the last several decades has grown to this incredible international church that is influencing uh, not only Hong Kong, but uh, the ma mainland China, the Philippines, Nepal, and India. And so we thank God for what God's doing there. Amen. Uh, the next area that I'd like to point out is uh, something that a lot of you are familiar with, and that's Samaritan Aviation. Uh, in Papua New Guinea, uh, a lot of you will remember Mark Palm and Brian Yeager with Samaritan Aviation. They've been here a number of times. Uh, uh, they were just here several months ago. Uh, talking about uh, their ministry and what they do. And it's just a, uh, an incredible ministry because Pop, uh, New Guinea, the whole of New Guinea, is a, just a bunch of little islands. And there's not medical care that's uh, easily accessible to in these little islands. And so this ministry, the float plane, uh, flies into areas where they have a need for medical care and can transport these patients back into the main city there and be able to receive medical help. Uh, I've got this from uh, Brian Yeager. I'm just going to read you a just a little synopsis of what they have done. And in the, I think they've been functioning for about, what, 15 years? or They have flown in over 2,000 people for medical care, but he also says they have literally personally impacted the lives of thousands with immunizations for pregnant mothers and babies, uh, health hygiene outreaches of all, uh, are all of which gives them opportunity to share the salvation message. Uh, they now conduct faith-based trauma training for nurses working at aid posts along the Sepik River, uh, training them how to overcome the brutal drama they and their patients encounter through the endless violence, disease, and suffering of that area. And Brian notes that there's nothing like Jesus when you always live in a storm. And we can say amen. <clears throat> now again, uh, Africa is one of those areas that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, anyone who has come to church here for any length of time has heard us talk about what God is doing in Africa, and we have an, an, uh, several different areas that we invest in, missionaries and national pastors, and I just kind of want to give you a rundown on who these are. The first couple 
Joe and Maggie have visited our church and have preached here a couple of times over the years. Uh, they are based in uh, Krugersdorp, South Africa, at their missions base with World Missions Ministries. I first met Joe and Maggie Delport in 1993, so it's going back almost 30 years, uh, when I was scouting out uh, to figure out where I was going to go uh, as a missionary for the second term, uh, meaning I'd been in Kenya, now I was going to look for another place to go, and I ended up in Malawi. But I met Joe and Maggie, and they were then missionaries living in Harare, Zimbabwe. And from the first moment that we met, there was just that kind of connection where we developed a, a real deep friendship. And, uh, you know, these are, are folks who have, the Apostle Paul wrote about uh, some who had hazarded their lives for the gospel. Joe and Maggie have done this, and, and Joe especially in going in, uh, when I was with him in 1993, he told me for several years he's been going across the border uh, from Zimbabwe into Mozambique, and this was during Mozambique's civil war. It had just ended uh, just, I think, six months before I uh, landed in the country and was with Joe. He took me into Mozambique, and I saw how ravaged the area was. But Joe had been going in for several years and ministering in this area. There's, there were live li, uh, 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 landmines and so many other dangers, uh, uh, gorillas, not the, you know, <laughs> kind of, but the, the, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, not G-O-R, but G-U-E-R, that kind. And, and so... He had risked his life taking the gospel in, and so they are just a, a phenomenal and, and worthy couple of support. I just want to read kind of what they're involved in. Uh, they have uh, uh, served as missionaries in Southern Africa for the last 34 years, and again, they base out of Krugersdorp in South Africa, where Joe serves as regional director for the southern region. Joe also serves as director of Advanced School of Ministry, and this is a training ministry uh, that empowers many pastors and leaders in the southern Africa region. So he goes in and does these leadership trainings in various nations. Maggie performs all the administrative duties at the Southern Africa headquarters for their missions and manages the compound facilities where they live. They, listen to this, they oversee 15 countries in the southern regions, Angola, Botswana, uh, Swaziland, Lesotho, Madagascar, Malawi, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, Reunion, Rodriguez, uh, Seychelles, South Africa, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. It's pretty powerful. And he is a man that is, yeah. Needless to say, he's a guy that's always on the move. So Joe, Joe makes the following comment. As with other countries in Africa, the COVID-19 epidemic negatively affected church attendance, church growth, church planning, and finances. But even amid all the uncertainty and challenges we face, there are some encouraging reports which give us hope for the future. 
in the year 2020, as they were in the middle of the COVID uh, epidemic, in Malawi, 44 new churches were planted. Yeah, that's awesome. Zambia's church growth increased from 817 churches in 2019 to 1,088 churches in 2020, an increase of 271 churches. Mozambique has planted an additional four churches. Now, they also are overseeing works in Madagascar, and I just had to put up uh, the name of the city in Madagascar, that place in Madagascar, Joe goes into and ministers and helps that pa pastor Tojo. Not even going to attempt the last. I had to put that up there just because I thought, oh my gosh, is that, I mean, to do that, you'd just be practically speaking in tongues, you know? And so it was uh, trippy. I just thought you would enjoy that. So. This is a new church building. You can obviously see it's of great size. It's under construction right now in Madagascar. And I've got a, a picture from a water baptism service uh, that was done there where they're baptizing new converts. We thank God for that. Amen. <clears throat> uh, Mauritius, the, the island of Mauritius, uh, during the last little bit of time has planted three new churches. Zimbabwe planted four new churches. And in Tanzania, they have been planting churches left and right since the year 2020. Uh, along with their ministry as far as training leaders, pastors, and workers, and, wor and helping to facilitate in the building of churches, uh, Joe and Maggie and their mission group has been involved in humanitarian efforts as well in Africa. And here is uh, uh, a water wheel drilling, drilling in Tanzania uh, that they helped finance. And, you know, many of you know this, but the, one of the, uh, the reasons why people die in Africa is because of bad water. Uh, before this uh, water well was dug, which would produce fresh water, the people in this area were getting their uh, water from polluted ponds and dams that they shared with animals. And so there was a lot of sickness that was averted just because of their efforts in things like this. <clears throat> uh, another couple that we uh, support monthly uh, in missions work are Jan and Sydney Idol. Uh, they are missionaries who began a missions group called Hearts for the World, and they focus on supporting churches uh, in Rwanda, Malawi, and uh, help with a church in Uganda. When I was a, a missionary, I've known this couple for uh, probably close to 40 years, and when I was a missionary in Malawi in the mid-1900s, uh, <laughs> I'm not that old, guys. Give me, <clears throat> give me a break. That was a Freudian or something. <clears throat> Mid-1990s, <clears throat> Sydney Idol came along with another pastor's wife on a missions trip to Malawi. She then went, they went from Malawi then to Rwanda, 
And I introduced her to uh, Charles Antunia, this, uh, na- the one of the two national pastors that I worked with. Uh, he's the one that I was in the church with, with the Green Mamba. And so after Sydney returned from that missions trip, she and her husband, Jan, began corresponding with Charles and ultimately began supporting him as he rose to a... Now, before this time, he was... Uh, he was in leadership over some churches and, and was pioneering a small church, but he, in, since that time, had rose to a national leader, developing a network of 115 churches in Malawi, five in Mozambique, and two in Zambia. And this is a picture of Charles and Liz Nett. They're good, they're good friends of mine, uh, both of them. They live uh, in the city of Blantyre. Now, Charles... Uh, just went on to be with the Lord, not but about, oh, seven or eight months ago. And since that time, Lisnette, his wife, has uh, taken over the leadership of that church and the management of their network of churches. And so we thank God for what he's continuing to do there uh, through them and, and Jan and Sydney Idol's uh, group, Hearts for the World. Now, the next picture, some of you will recognize, this is Pastor Alex Trambaro, who uh, pastors a large church in Lilongwe, uh, Malawi, the capital city. Uh, we go back along. He was the other, the second national pastor that I worked closely with while I lived in Malawi, and he is just such a great friend. We uh, share the same first name, and I always tell him when I go into Malawi, he's my brother from another mother, Uh, but we have the same father, amen, heavenly father. And so I thought it'd be interesting. We've been in support of uh, uh, Alex and his wife, Delazina, for uh, uh, such a long time, uh, a couple of decades, and this was me and Alex back in the day. I was a little, a little thinner and had a little more hair, uh, but uh, I'm much more experienced and wiser now. So, <clears throat> uh, just had a, a, a great uh, time uh, ministering with Alex over the years. And when I first met him, uh, he was a, a pastor of a village church just on the outskirts of the capital city, Lilongwe. And in the almost 30 years that I have known him, he has risen from pastoring that small village church to becoming a leader of a large fellowship of 151 churches in Malawi. And they have branches in Mozambique, Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Tanzania, Botswana, Uganda, and Madagascar. Incredible. Uh, Pastor Chamorro recently hosted their pastor leadership conference, uh, and I've got a a couple of pictures from their conference. Uh, This uh, is pastors from all and leaders from all over Malawi and surrounding country came in to receive uh, leadership training and encouragement. And here's another shot from from that conference. You know, Living in Malawi is always a challenge, and for them, especially so. They, uh, Alex and Delazina, his wife, have have been through so many brutal experiences over the years, and most recently, just oh, about three or four weeks ago, after this conference, 
Their house was broken into by a gang of thieves. They were both beaten. Uh, Delazina was hospitalized with three broken ribs. Alex was hospitalized with a broken shoulder, and they pretty much stole everything of value in their home. Now, I know that sounds, it is horrible, and they, have, they are doing better physically now, but this kind of experience is something that they have been through again and again and again and again. Because of the poverty in Malawi, uh, thieves and these roving gangs of thieves are just, they're just rampant. And so we as a church, I, I didn't put it in the pictures that I should have, just recently completed another wall with a, a big metal gate uh, to help provide some security uh, for them. But, you know, what I want to point out about them is, is he just doesn't give up. I would pray that I would have the grace to continue after what he's experienced, but every once in a while I, I read his emails and I hear what they've been through, and I just, I mean, it's almost, it is unimaginable what they have been through to bring the gospel to their nations and to the nations around. And, and for this reason, you know, it's just such a blessing for us as a church, and we have, uh, God has prospered us. He has blessed us so much, and we are able to be a blessing and a help to these nations, and we thank God for that privilege. Can you say amen? Uh, finally, in the last one, uh, area of missions uh, investment that I want to focus on is in Iraq and Egypt and the Middle East with uh, Pastor Jack Harris. Uh, Pastor Harris, uh, we go back way back. He was actually the pastor that sent me originally out in the ministry back in 1979. He sent me from Flagstaff where he was pastoring and I was in that church and had grown up and developed and discipled in that church and sent me to Winslow, Arizona. And I have forgiven him for that. But uh, no, no. I cut, cut my eye teeth in ministry in, in Winslow. And then we have uh, had uh, that relationship for all of these years. But he has pastored in numbers of places in the States, but uh, we have been supporting them, I think, almost 20 years, hasn't it been, in Iraq. And he started by uh, humanitarian efforts into the Kurdistan region. His son had been based in that northern region of Iraq back in the yesteryears. And Jack, this again, is going back more than 20 years ago. And he had made a contact with a, with a guy that served as an interpreter. Jack went in and began to start doing humanitarian efforts. And we helped from the very beginning of that. And since that time, uh, there is a beautiful church. And again, I should have put the picture of their church in here. But imagine a beautiful church. You've seen Some of you have seen it before. It has been built in Dahuk, uh, Iraq, in Kurdistan. And they have also been reaching into other areas around northern Egypt. It has been a tremendous success recently. And rather than me report to you about what's going on and has happened, I have a recorded report from Jack Harris that I'm going to go ahead and play. It's about 10 minutes long, and it is riveting what God uh, has done and is doing in the area. And so 
Uh, here is Jack Hi, Harris. I'm Jack Harris, and I'd like to share with all of you there in Kingman an update concerning some exciting things that are happening in our ministries in the Middle East and in Mexico. As many of you know, after the ISIS invasion of Iraq and the capture of Mosul, Kurdistan suffered a great economic collapse as investors fled the country and all construction ground to an abrupt halt. The economy there was just starting to recover when the global pandemic hit us, once again closing businesses and industry, and this, along with uh, hyperinflation, has been devastating uh, the economy there. That's all beginning to turn around now, and here's what's happening in the Kurdistan region of northern Iraq. Because of the continuing tension in southern Iraq and the attacks upon our embassy in Baghdad, we're now building the largest consulate in the world in Erbil, the capital of autonomous Kurdistan or the Kurdistan region of northern Iraq. Also, the existing airport in Erbil is being enlarged. And I'd like to explain that when it was first built, it was built much larger by our government uh, funding uh, than any commercial interest would have ever really uh, been needed. In other words, it was built uh, to accommodate a future for military purpose. Uh, it's now being enlarged again, and so I'll let you just draw your own conclusions there. Also, a new airport is being built in Dehuk, and we have information that there are plans by the regional government to transform Zaho on the Turkish-Syrian border into a major city like Erbil and Dehuk. In other words, there's a lot of development happening right now and it's radical development and advancement. And uh, uh, this just tells us that uh, Kurdistan is coming back on track for its importance uh, of the role it's going to play in the Middle East. In my thinking, all of this points to the uh, fulfillment of the biblical alliance spoken of in the Isaiah 19 prophecy. Now, I'd also like to take this time to share some of the things that we're accomplishing in our church in Dehuk. Uh, we've just currently finished our first safe house apartment to accommodate Muslim families that are coming to Christ and need to flee their uh, homes uh, down in southern Iraq and other places because of uh, the persecution they reserve there or family honor killings such as that. We have 10 families that are now waiting uh, for a place in this rotating family apartment as we settle them into the region. And uh, we're in the process of building a second apartment to accommodate more families. Also, Pastor Laith has a uh, feeding program or a, a food basket program that uh, uh, he uh, implements every Sunday to take care of the people that are coming to our church who have been devastated through this economic time uh, where they've been deprived. Hopefully all of that's gonna start changing, but we're still feeding a lot of people there. But uh, Pastor Lath just told me uh, just before I made this video that there uh, currently is a lot of new people coming into the church. They're coming and staying. They love what they're hearing and people are coming to Christ. So it's a mission accomplished there after two years of uh, basically being shut down as a church uh, because of the uh, global pandemic. And of course, it wasn't just us in Kurdistan that was shut down. It was every 
public gathering uh, uh, because of the governmental rules. So we're excited about the uh, uh, regaining of our impetus uh, in Iraq. I'd also like to take a moment to share with you about some of the things that are happening in Egypt. Egypt is one of the great bright spots in our Middle Eastern strategy as well. Uh, we're located in two areas of Upper Egypt, al Qasiyah, where we have a Praise Chapel Church, and we also work in Al-Minia, uh, which is a city just below al Qasiyah. And in both regions, uh, we're touching hundreds of pastors, Egyptian pastors, and influencing their lives, churches, and ministries through our full-time workers that are there. Our church in al Qasiyah is in revival. We're packed out uh, in a, a steady stream of people getting saved. And also, uh, Pastor Rezek uh, has been feeding uh, a large number of people. Uh, I mean, large numbers. I mean, uh, you know, he's every service, they're feeding close to 320 people, and they have two services uh, that are for that purpose. So it's exciting stuff. There's discipleship going on, but both Pastor Habib and Pastor uh, Rezek have also developed a strategy in their regions to work with these local pastors that are responding to them. And uh, each one of them, just this last month, has worked with 120 pastors apiece. And so, you know, that's 340 ministries. Uh, the idea is that they're training them for practical outreach into their cities. Outreach isn't something that has been done uh, that much in Egypt in the churches. Uh, there's obvious reasons for that, but the face of uh, Egypt is changing. And that's been since uh, uh, the Arab Spring. There's been a process, but there's more Christian liberty there than there has been in the past. And our brethren are taking advantage of that. But because of the past uh, problems with Islam, uh, obviously the churches pretty much have stuck to themselves. Now they're developing strategies to work together, to actually train the pastors how to reach a local community, and then go in with them uh, as a small group of pastors and workers into each uh, uh, individual city and village and actually do a practical outreach to reach souls. So this is happening in, uh, uh, throughout Upper Egypt right now as I'm talking to you. It's exciting stuff, and there's many, many good things happening. There's a genuine revival, uh, Holy Spirit revival going on in Egypt. I'd also like to just briefly uh, update you concerning something new we're doing in Mexico. Now, I work down in the south of Mexico with our fellowship down there, uh, Fishers of Men, who are associated me, uh, with me from uh, the work that I did in Mexico many, many years ago. And we have a good number of churches down there and a conference we do every uh, year. And uh, as a matter of fact, we just finished a, a meeting online uh, with our brethren down there. However, uh, I started off in Nogales, Sonora. And recently I received a challenge from uh, a woman that was saved uh, many years ago in our ministry. She was only 14 back then. She's 60 now, so that tells you how long ago this was. And, uh, uh, you know, she just wrote me a letter and said, uh, you know, uh, is there anything we can do uh, 
to have you come back to Nogales to help us. She says, every day I go out into the streets and it's filled with zombies. And what she's referring to is heroin addicts. She said the homeless are everywhere. Uh, crime is open on the streets uh, uh, from the cartels. They don't even bother to hide it. They, they do their thing in broad daylight. She said uh, young women are being killed. This is, she called it femicide. And uh, there are many just uh, uh, widows and orphans. In other words, it's a mess down there. And she remembers the days when we had great revival in that city. And frankly, not a lot's been happening for many years uh, in that region. And I won't go into that. But uh, she asked me if it's possible that I could return uh, and that we could see the miracles that we once saw in our crusades and the evangelism we once saw to change the face of the city. And to me and others that I've shared this with, this was a clarion call to respond. It, uh, uh, I didn't have a particular uh, desire to go back to Nogales. I'm not looking at this from a, a nostalgic point of view. I'm looking at uh, the fact that this is a real problem and the city needs help. And uh, I feel God's asked us to get involved again. And so we're doing something with women there right now. And I won't explain the full extent of that, but the strategy is to establish a core group of believers in the area, and then we're going to expand our outreach. And we're, all, we're, we're being quite successful right now, and we're moving toward big things in Nogales. So I just wanted to share these things with you, update you. God is on the move in Latin America and in the Middle East, and uh, I just... Uh, wanted to thank you all who have partnered and stayed with us for so many years. You're a part of all of this, and we're making tremendous inroads for the gospel in some of the world's most difficult times. I believe we're the answer, not the problem. And I believe that God will empower us to do greater things than we've ever seen in the past if we we'll simply obey him, obey his great commission, and go and simply preach the gospel. We have no other agenda than to simply preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you all for partnering with us, for sticking with us uh, so faithfully. Uh, you're loved and appreciated, and we'll keep you posted on all that's developing. Praise God. <laughs> that guy moves me. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm going to wrap this up this morning, but I, I was, while he was talking and I was thinking uh, just about how proud I am of our church and of you guys and so grateful to be part of the ministry team here of a church that is so caring, burdened, and uh, passionate. Uh, we've talked about a whole lot that we're involved. We, this, our church, is making significant impact, not only in Kingman, but around the world. And I just thank God for the opportunity to be a part of that. Amen. Uh, just before we close, I want to, you know, you should present a scripture when you're doing something. But this 
closing, yeah, text, and then I'll preach, huh? No, this, this is my text, but I'm going to close with this text. And <clears throat> this portion of Scripture is a promise to us uh, who contribute to help others in regions beyond. It's a promise that we as a church, I know, are experiencing the fulfillment of. And it, <clears throat> it reads like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 through 10, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Uh, I thank God again for us as a local church that that portion of Scripture is being fulfilled in us and the promise of God's provision to us so that we can just not look back at what we have done, but look forward to all that we're going to do. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand, would you? <clears throat> Praise God. If you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment, I never like to uh, close a service without giving an opportunity to those who may not know Christ as Savior. Everything that we are involved in as a church, it has its aim to reach people for Christ. And if you've never given your life to Christ or you've been away from Him, I'd like to just pray with you in our dismissal prayer here uh, for a prayer of forgiveness. And if that's your need and desire, uh, no one looking around for a moment, you just hold your hand up where I can see it in know to include you in this prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I see these hands. Let's, would you all just pray this prayer out loud with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you come into my heart, changed me, forgiven me. My life will never be the same. I thank you for that, for your purpose in my life, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord another clap and thank him? <laughs> Praise God. Just as you leave, I'd like to remind you about regular missions giving in addition to your regular tithes and offerings. If you'll notate it on the memo space of your check, what's going to missions, or on the envelopes, there's a place for missions that you can check. That would be such a blessing, and we'll see God continue to reach and do things miraculously in the world. Amen. Our uh, prayer team is going to be up here in the front to pray for you. If you have individual needs you like pray for, prayed for, they are here for you. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.